goodbye to the killing it. Killing it. it. Podcast. Podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, Amy Luby, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts technology community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Hello, this is Nye, the SMB Community Podcast producer. Before we start the show, I just wanted to let our listeners know our mailbox is currently open to the public. So please, send us your questions, comments, and hate mail. If you want your question or comment to be featured on the next episode, make sure to send them to concierge at smallbizthoughts.com. More information in the show notes. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the SMB Community Podcast. This is James Kernan here with my friends, uh, Carl, Amy Luby, and A.B. Babinchek. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Good. Doing well. Doing Great. well. Well, so as this airs, the Killing It podcast has broadcast their uh, their last episode for a while. They're going to take a break. And so uh, all of you folks who have been addicted to the Killing It podcast can now come over here and become addicted to the SMB Community podcast. All right. So podcast, anything else in the news? Any any other announcements? Well, state of California has legislation now, SB 244, the right to repair. And uh, this would uh, guarantee that you're able to repair the devices that you buy. Things like not just toasters, but iPhones and laptops and tablets and that mm. sort of thing. Uh, so uh, I think... The NSITSP will probably get involved in this, and um, it's a, a quick reminder to folks that you actually need somebody representing you because these things are going to happen one way or the other, and right. the opposition is not uh, a couple of old people shaking their fist at the cloud. It is the likes of Apple and Intel and Microsoft and HP and <laughs> I think Dell is not on the uh, the opposition side to right to repair. At least they weren't in Oregon, um, but most of the other manufacturers are. They, they hmm. do not want you taking their stuff apart and fixing it yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited for more legislation. I normally would never say that, but in our industry, I think it's going to protect us. I'm and glad that you're not live on stage now. I'm just saying. <laughs> for your own yeah. I'm I'm dodging tomatoes. We'll see. <laughs> Think about the right to repair, though. Like, I mean, is that really? I don't know that I want to spend my time taking apart an iPhone and putting on a new screen. Like, what? But there are people who make a living doing that, right? A lot of them. Yeah, and I think that it's actually a valuable service that that they provide. You know, we have a lot of those little stores around here, and they're quite they're quite busy. It keeps people from spending a thousand dollars on a new phone when they can get a hundred and fifty dollar new screen mm -hmm. yeah and there are also a large number of people that have a cell phone store in the front and it feeds into their 
other repair stuff and it feeds into their IT consulting business because yeah. every once in a while somebody with you know a business comes in to get their screen replaced and then they are talked into hey you should think about having us to come and look at your office and what we can help you with there yeah yeah you'd think that the the retail store market is is dead for it but you know when when microsoft had their store here locally we got tons of referrals from them because we made ourselves known to them and they would put on business events you know when microsoft bought linkedin they did a bunch of stuff around linkedin well that brought business professionals in and um and people would also just show up at their door with questions that were beyond what they could do, right? They could sell them stuff, they could help them with an individual computer, but when it went beyond that, they referred out to partners. And we had tons of tons of referrals from that. So business people do show up at brick and mortar stores. Right. Uh, you know, asking the asking the the tougher question. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody drops their phone once in a while. <laughs> or more than that <laughs> it'd be interesting to see who that audience is I, and and maybe this is my bias i, I can't imagine a, a cto or ceo or cfo from any size company walking into a retail place to fix a business machine i just think that would be a waste of my time as an executive to do well, that but remember, I can't remember the exact stats, but something like 70% of small businesses have no IT support. Oh, yeah. yeah. And 80% of them use an MSP. Yeah. And these the referrals that we got from the store were the the S part of the SMB market, right? So these were these were businesses that tended to be highly mobile and had between one and six or eight people. Mm -hmm. Right, and they were trying to patchwork together their own stuff, and when they were willing to talk to us is when they had reached that that level where of complexity that they were really uncomfortable handling, and they didn't know where to go, so they showed up at the Microsoft store, mm -hmm. right, and so then Microsoft would refer them out to a a partner, mm -hmm. and their most common repair is, is you know. At least at some places like the uh what was the one at Best Buy? The the Geek Squad. Their most Geek common Squad. repair is I'm sorry we lost your data. Please sign here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can repair your computer, but all your data will be gone. Right. So you know. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh I think assuming that this goes through, the right to repair will be something that will will follow across the country it's been brought up in many many states and um the, the opposition is very powerful and very well funded so uh, mm -hmm. i i'm not necessarily optimistic that it'll go through but it is an opportunity for us as an industry to show up um and and make our ourselves known the 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 small computer and and uh, um cell phone repair shops are organizing and um I think that we can be a, a voice for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out for sure. But uh, yeah, there's a couple events going on. Um, anybody traveling over the next couple of weeks? When's the ASCII event, Carl? So the ASCII event is, I think, the 22nd and 23rd. So 
it'll be it'll be today the 23rd <laughs> when people are listening to this nice cool well something else i'm excited about in the not too distant future march 30th and 31st uh, at the threat locker headquarters um danny jenkins is going to be speaking at the mastermind event uh, the CEO of Threat Lockers. So that's exciting. I just heard that this week. And then we also have the FBI, their um, their cyber unit. They're going to be presenting there as, in one of the sessions and talking about, uh, you know, real life scenarios and their response team and how they work with MSPs uh, when issues happen. So I'm looking forward to that. It's the uh, the FBI and then their spinoff group called InfraGuard. You guys familiar with InfraGuard? So do they have like a whole speakers network that goes around? They do. They do. And it's there's chapters all around the, the country. <clears throat> I've done some events. You know, last time I partnered with them was in San Diego, but uh, this time it will be in Orlando. So excited, uh, you know, pretty cool. And, you know, they're always so incognito, right? So I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use their name or face. So, uh, you know, we'll just put a, a question mark where his picture is supposed to be. Uh, but uh, anyway, they're going to be represented there. So that'll be that'll be awesome. That'll be fun. It'll be a strong event around cybersecurity. The yeah. other uh, the other group that often is available to speak on this topics, at least here in Michigan, is the state police. They have this similar cybercrime hmm. unit and they're willing to come out to any group and speak as well. Yeah. Yeah, their charter is really just more education and, and just trying to create awareness and let them know how the different agencies can partner with with us MSPs and, and help us. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And subscribing to their InfraGuard newsletter is a great a great thing. Everyone should be subscribed to that. That's a great tip. Yeah. Up next, we shake up the format once again. So here's two five minutes two smart people. Hi, this is Carl, and I'm joined now by Michael Callahan from Acronis, and you are the chief marketing officer. And do you think that's a job that's going to stick around for a while? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, I think so. And, and the, the reason that, that I say that, I mean, we're kind of joking about it, but I think um, it's becoming more and more important for companies to understand um, uh, their market. And I mean, to me, the core of being a chief marketing officer is not, it's not really the marketing programs. Um, you can learn that you can, that's just an execution issue to some degree. It's the, it's the word that that is derived from, which is market, which is what is the market and what do they need and what, what problems do they have that you can solve? So, um, I do hope that the job and the role stays around for a while and I think it will. So so we had we recorded a podcast back in November and one of the things you said then is that you start by looking at your ideal client and then try to figure out okay who who, who is this person what do they look like and then you try to design stuff around that. I'm a huge believer you can't have good customer service until you know who your client is. For sure. So what have you done with regards to serving MSPs what have you done that's based on that ideal client? Like, how have you changed what you deliver or how you deliver it? Yeah, I, so I think this this may, I mean, it's it's never a like there a beginning and end to it, but I think this started a couple of years ago where we were talking to MSPs and said, what are your big problems, right? So I'm, I'm a big proponent, I'll take a little bit of a, a side road here, is a, a big proponent of doing what I call problem marketing. So instead of just being, being descriptive of what you do and, and expecting your customers to figure it out, talk to a problem. And usually you can get, 
80% of the problems that they have um, with a handful of problems, right? There, there's always a bunch of ones that kind of tail off after that, but you can get, you can get most of them just in a handful of problems. So you talk to them and say, what are the problems that you have? And, and, and you can combine that to some degree with what are your customers' problems because we're talking about MSPs. But the MSPs came back and said, um, it's hard for me to train on all of these different systems, as an example. Um, it's, it's hard for me to manage all of these invoices I get from different vendors. It's, it's hard for me to make sure that all of the security solutions I'm using are up to date and they don't have any vulnerabilities that are outstanding. And all of that led to this, this idea of we really should build something that's, that's a um, consolidated agent that has this functionality that you're able to, as an MSP, turn on the pieces that you want or you don't want based on your business. And, and you may have a small piece of our platform or you may have a larger piece, but listening to them and understanding their problems led us to developing this uh, CyberTech platform that we have. Very cool. Well, thank you for being with us. I appreciate your time. And uh, I've been chatting with Michael Callahan from Acronis and you can be found at acronis.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. IT Service Provider University helps you improve the business side of your business. We launched IT Service Provider University in 2013, and today we offer more than 20 courses on every aspect of running your consulting business. ITSPU provides training and pathways to certification for individual IT service providers as well as company-level certifications. Pathways include management, technician, sales and marketing, service manager, and front office. Learn more about professional classes and certification at ITSPU.com. The NSITSP is looking at some model legislation. And in this model legislation, there was a concern brought up that um, it might trigger a nexus or how would states deal with nexus. And I, I know you wrote an article about nexus. What is nexus? Nexus clearly or easily defined is uh, two things that connect people or connect you to something. So, you know, if you just think of Nexus as it, it connects us uh, to something, you know, it makes it a little easier to remember. Uh, that's like the broad definition of Nexus. And in the United States, we have unique challenges that we have 50 different states doing 50 different things. And uh, I imagine that that's what this conversation is about. Yeah, 50 different definitions of nexus. So you wrote an article about sales tax and nexus. And so nexus is my understanding from reading your article, and we'll put it in the links, is that um, when I – it's issue of whether I need to send sale tax into that state. And so if I meet their threshold, which is usually around $100,000 of sales in that state, then I have to file with the state to say, hey, I'm going to be sending you money now. Well, $100,000 of sales in a calendar year is just one of the tests uh, as to whether or not 
you have nexus. You might have an employee or a worker or a representative that works for your company and lives in that state. That's what's called physical presence. You, uh, If you have an office in that physical state, even if nobody works there, that is still physical presence. You may have a storage unit where you supply, store supplies or inventory or something like that. So there's a number of different tests that um, that include Nexus. As a matter of fact, you could even have sales of less than $100,000 in a jurisdiction and still have Nexus if you've made more than 200 individual transactions. So there's a lot of different tests that you need to look at. So, so the NSITSP is, is looking at this model legislation that would cause uh, IT service providers to register in a state that they do business in. And this would be their home state, but then the conversation then is, when would Nexus get triggered in other states that might cause these service providers to have to go and register in those other states too. And again, I think each state has to be looked at individually. Um, you pick up a client, you're in Michigan, right? You pick up a client in Ohio and this client in Ohio, um, you know, is turning into a much larger client. There's a big project uh, and there's ongoing services that you're providing to them. They keep buying products from you. You know, then you have to start to ask yourself, um, we might get to $100,000 or um, they just keep calling us, you know, every week for a different transaction and we might hit the, the 200 transaction limit. Now you have to start to look at whether or not you need to register in Ohio and where in Ohio are they and are there local tax implications in that particular jurisdiction. Um, so from there, like uh, inside some accounting systems, and I'm thinking QuickBooks Online, they have a Nexus test generator where you it will search your entire QuickBooks and say, hey, do you have Nexus in this particular state? So you could go to your QuickBooks online and do the Nexus generator, click on Ohio and see if you are uh, if you have met any of the thresholds in Ohio. And if you did, then you have to embark upon all of the registrations. Right. So. This this question, this question that the NSITSP is grappling with regarding their model legislation doesn't actually have anything to do with sales tax. It just happens to do with nexus. And so um, you have clients in many states. In the accounting industry, are you guys required to register in different states when you're doing business there, regardless of, or is there some other type of nexus test or? There is. <clears throat> I have uh, clients in many different states and I have some remote workers that live in various states. 
And the fact that those remote workers are on my payroll provides nexus in that state. So I have a worker in South Carolina. I have a worker in Louisiana. I have a worker in Alabama. So I had to register with the Secretary of State to do business in that state. I had to register for payroll taxes, workers' comp insurance, and income taxes. I don't have any taxable sales, right? So sales tax is not really a thing, but I am required to file corporate income taxes in each of those states and prorate my, you know, prorate my income based on, you know, my, my overall income and then my income inside that state as well as the payroll and any other assets I may have in there. So it does start to get a little complicated. Little old me now has to file in four different states. Right. So if if in the case of this legislation, which really just serves to register the existence of a professional organization in a state as kind of a foothold for beginning to define what makes a an IT service provider part of the profession. Are you aware of any cases where where that triggers nexus? Like, you know, with lawyers, they have to register with the bar in order to do business in different states. Um, does the accounting industry have anything like that? It does. Um, so the State Board of Accountancy, like if you are a CPA, uh, a certified public accountant, which I am not, I'm an enrolled agent, I'm licensed by the Internal Revenue Service, and that kind of gives me access to all 50 states. But in, if I were a certified public accountant, I could only perform certain services in the state in which I am licensed by the State Board of Accountancy. And there's a State Board of Accountancy in all 50 states, just like there's a bar association. In Florida, we have uh, what's called the DBPR. Um, it's at myfloridalicense.com. So that's where uh, licensed real estate brokers have to file um, co- construction contractors, um, hairdressers, anybody that requires a license to perform a professional service, you know, has to go to the state and get their licenses through whatever the equivalent is in other states for um, for professional licensing. So do you have to do that as an EA or is the Internal Revenue Service that's giving you licensure in all 50 states? It's the IRS that gives me licensure in all yeah. 50 states. That's pretty awesome. That would be good for IT people. Because yeah, our, our business is so remote, you know, that we can do business quite easily across states without having a lot of onerous individual states making up 50 different rules. I totally agree. I think that, you know, some sort of national licensor, licensing, you know, um, board for IT professionals, because like you said, everything IT professionals do is remote, you know, and crosses so many lines. That's not going to stop the tax uh, implications in the tax registrations, but, you know, to have that professional designation, you know, and a license number, you know, that says that you are licensed and bonded and that covers the clients, you know, wherever they may be. 
Yeah, because like my MSP is small. We have clients in, I think it's seven, maybe eight different states, none of which we meet Nexus in under the tax for tax purposes. But I would really like not to have to file eight licensure <laughs> things, you know, just so that I can do business in those states in the future. Thank you for joining me today, Rayanne. Cool conversation. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Was, there was um, an interesting topic that kind of came up, and how do you guys feel about this? In one of the mastermind meetings that we had this week, one of the members kind of brought to the group, <clears throat> they've had a longstanding client, almost 10 years, uh, MSP client is one of their bigger ones, and they're just getting ready, they're growing, they're just getting ready to renew their contract, it's doubling in size, you know, into a you know, double digit per month MRR. We all want that, right? And they've come back for the first time ever. And with the legal language, it was more of they're pushing more responsibility, more legal risk back to the MSP. And in normal negotiations, you know, my thought would be, hey, there's always a give and take. If we're going to give you something, I want something in return, maybe more money uh, or something. And and it was it was realistic. The the clause. I'll just paraphrase what I remember. It was something to the effect of the indemnification, uh, you know, limitations on liability section. And it said something to the, uh, they wanted to be added. Uh, they wanted us to add um, um, also including negligent or intentional acts that the the reseller would be responsible for, you know, and in just big picture, it was like, okay, I, th I think that's realistic. Right. Is that something that, you know, you should go back and ask for more money? Um, my my quick thought was uh, make sure you've got E&O insurance and that you're covered for things like that. It's pretty hard to, you know, um, you know, prove somebody intentionally did something wrong. It's more negligence, but that's what E&O is for. But what are your thoughts on that? Is that yeah, I wouldn't charge extra for that, although I think it's a very reasonable clause. That's just a matter of you have to keep an eye on your employees and you have to have good processes and procedures. Yeah. Well, you know, I wonder how productive it's going to be to have it though, because the MSP is usually always so much smaller than the firm that they're, that they're working for that the amount of actual benefit that that's going to give the business is probably pretty small. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, but there are cases of, employees of MSPs selling their clients' data. Uh, and that, that would be kind of an intentional thing under that. And there are, there are, and, you know, but just the business should, I, I think if, you know, if you wanted that in the clause, in a clause, and I'm not saying it's unreasonable, I'm just saying that they need to know what the expectation of that is too, because the MSP is going to carry either one or $2 million of insurance and that's it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, does, general, general does signing a clause like that though, poke a hole in your E&O or liability insurance? 
I mean, if I was an, I don't know, I'm asking the question, but I'm just thinking if, if I was an insurance company and I was insuring somebody who actually was signing contracts to increase my risk, well, I might say, no, I'm not going to cover you. Mm -hmm. I don't have somebody interview Brian Mahone and ask him that exact question. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's, Amy, that's a good point. That's something that I had brought up that, hey, go back to your insurance broker, make sure your insurance company would, would cover you. It's interesting language. I think it's reasonable. You know, I don't think it's anything that you go back and charge them more unless maybe your insurance to cover that liability, additional liability would increase your premium. And if it does, maybe you explain that and cover it. But it's, uh, I thought it was reasonable, but it's interesting. We're seeing more and more of that risk now being pushed back on the MSP and you need to protect yourself. You know, you need to make sure you've got good insurance in place and, and really analyze that language. Just, just don't say yes to everything. Um, and be I, think I, would, I think I would push back and say, you know what, this is what liability insurance is for. Here's mm -hmm. my policy to show you that I've got it. Uh, mm -hmm. Why don't you show me yours so that mm -hmm. we're mutually protected here? I don't, I don't know that I would be really open to altering my contract unless it was a, something I was going to adopt across the board. Yeah. I think I'd probably adopt it across the board. I, I I just don't think it's such a big danger that you need to spend a lot of time on it. I think you spend your time making sure that your employees are good people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was reasonable, but the more I thought about it, it just made me uncomfortable. And um, again, normal negotiations, you, you want to give and take. And if I'm going to give you something, I want something in return. But well, historically it, in this industry, I, you know, I used to always tell people like, I've been doing this for 10 years and then 20 years and then 30 years. And some of the crap that I've seen where people don't get sued is amazing. Like somebody, like I, one guy um, literally only delivered used hardware and used software to a client. And the, the bill was in the neighborhood of $30,000. And then they he couldn't figure out how to install it. And we literally, this is one of these things go back in the day. We looked at the the um, software and we realized this is completely pirated and uh, mm. they did not sue. I have had people do things similar to that with an attorney who did not sue. And mm. so it used to be the case that you just, you could be very uh, ill-intentioned in this industry and not get sued. Those days are gone. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the door has been opened and now we're literally just part of the chain of, you know, how do you secure yourself financially as well as from cybersecurity? Um, and we're, we're a piece of that chain. And we just have to get used to the fact that we live in a world where the, there, uh, there's a legal component to what we do, whether we like it or not. There were, you know, years back, there was a, a big storage manufacturer. I won't say the name to protect the innocent. But uh, I was told they owned multiple companies, and I was told once by leadership that their third largest revenue stream internally was their legal department. You know, not selling, you know, hardware, Thanks. not selling services. It was their legal department. It's like, ugh, oh, goodness. <laughs> That's a good partner not to have, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, good conversation. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. Uh, this is James with Kerning Consulting.
and uh, Team Amy, Carl and Amy, and we're signing off. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.